welcome to episode 12 of the complete Agnes Varda. I am Matt Gasteyer, here as usual with my co-host Travis Trudell. Hello, Travis. Hey, Matt. How's it going? It's going pretty good. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I'm a little intimidated by it. I find it very dense. Um, and uh, fortunately, we have uh, a guest today our favorite guest on the complete i'm sorry to everybody else who's ever been on the show but suck it um, everybody else. they know they know <laughs> you're all you're all tied for number two i promise um but we have Flattery erica long get you on the show today. Guys. <laughs> hi i'm sorry i talked over my name i'm erica and i'm so so glad to be back with you too i've missed you so much yes, we, we you too you are our honorary third uh, co-host, Erica, so anytime you want to be on the show, you are, are welcome on. We always love to hear what you have to say, but this time we're, we're doing a French filmmaker. That's something that is uh, something familiar to you, right? You know French a little I bit. I do. I do a little bit uh, <laughs> near and dear to my heart. I am a huge Francophile anyway, and I am so excited to talk about this movie specifically i would do any movie with you guys but this one i am just over the moon to discuss yeah so we'll be discussing by the way i didn't mention it this is jane b par agnes v oh so, thank god i i've been i've been like waiting this whole time going oh shit did i watch the wrong movie that i watched kung fu master <laughs> well that's a good point i mean the thing is like these so these movies were made kind of simultaneously by the way if we went by u.s release dates this didn't come out in the U.S. until 2015. It did not receive um, distribution in the U.S. on initial release. Um, but these are very uh, closely related films that were essentially made and released at the same time. Um, we are starting with Jane B. for Agnes V. Because I think uh, as I was watching the movie, I was like, yes, we did this right correctly. <laughs> I have seen these films before, so I had a, a kind of a sense of, of where we wanted to go with this. But I think, um, you know, this is definitely uh, the film that kind of leads into uh, Kung Fu Master. Um, but before we get to that, um, Erica, I just wanted to ask you, as we typically do with, with our guests, kind of how you came to the work of Agnes Varda, um, kind of how your relationship with her movies has evolved over time. And, um, and then I think I'd definitely be curious to hear why you're so excited to talk about this one in particular. Absolutely. So I want to credit uh, Cole Relaine for really getting me into Agnes Varda, and you're going to be speaking with him relatively soon as well. And you've spoken with him before. I think your listeners know him too. And I am actually, this is a person that I'm really excited to have come to kind of later in life. I was aware of a number of her films, uh, specifically Cleo, probably as most everybody is if they come to her work. But it took me until I was uh, fully an adult to see these films for the first time. And Jane B is is a first watch for me. And I can't tell you how, how what a delightful experience that is to find something that you haven't seen if you are kind of like us and you consider yourself a cinephile and you like to just watch a lot of stuff. And to have that first experience with this, and especially as 
at the time of this recording, my birthday is two days from now. I will be 48 years old. So I will have passed the age that Jane was in this film. And I'm not quite to Anya's age. I think she was approaching 60 when she made this. And it's a great place to be. I feel like I have a different insight into all of these women as I go through life. So I watched things kind of out of order. I did Cleo, then Vagabond, then coming to this. And it's all these different portraits of these incredibly unique and interesting artists that I am so glad that I get to experience, especially for the first time. I was watching again last night, though, and... It's just such a lovely place to be. Inside Anya's Varda's mind and world is a wonderful place to spend time. Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. It's lovely spending time with her. And I think this feels like her most herself documentary, like in terms of kind of like what she's been working towards. And it works on so many levels so good. I mean, it's so good. It works on so many levels so well. And uh, I hear you, Travis. Yeah, it, uh, it's so good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> and just her voice is so pleasing. It's, it is. She's, she's just wonderful all the way around. I want to just hang out with her in her kitchen. Well, and you know, I mean, like, I don't know if you watched the... Um, the conversation with Jane Birkin um, that is uh, on the Criterion channel. It's on, it's also on the, the, the disc in the complete uh, Varda set um, from right after her passing, I believe um, talking about making this movie, but also talking about her relationship with Varda. And you, you really get the, the, um, the, the richness of their friendship from her conversation and not only in what she's saying about, you know, going to her house, experiencing the feeling of being around her family, but just the way that she's talking about it. She just has so much or had, unfortunately, so much deep um, affection for Varda. And um, it's a really, uh, I mean, I was actually like moved to tears by her description of their relationship in that, in that extra um, we should note, and I, I just alluded to it, um, that, that as of the recording of this, Jane, Jane Birkin died, um, about a month ago, three, three to four weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I think there's an added poignancy to the film now that both of these women have passed, um, living incredibly rich life, lives before this film and after the film, um, and I, I think it it definitely, um, you know, adds something to the to the film. But I think most of it is already there in the work, both in terms of um, the the individual portraits of these two women, and we'll get into kind of the reflexive nature of that in this movie. Um, but also their relationship and the way that they interact with each other, both in this and in clips uh, of them, you know, there's, there's also a clip on the Criterion channel of them on a talk show, and you can just see their playful nature with each other and, and their kind of warm rapport. I think there's so much to be said for these relationships that we make as adults. And if I think of those two women at that specific time, so both are mothers and both have teens, 
but yet they are at radically different places in their life and reflecting on those things that they learn about from each other. And I can see Anya's finding so much joy and pleasure in Jane's kookiness or just general being an interesting person. There was one thing that she said uh, describing Jane as vivacious and strange, which is everything I aspire to be. And <laughs> when someone describes someone as strange, I really want to know what kind of strange they are. Yeah. And I could just watch this for hours and hours and hours, though I was also trying to approach it with not necessarily of um, let me find the kind of one to one comparisons in her life or her work where I'm sort of trying to decide if she is giving me some particular insight or if this is a variation on a relationship or, you know, an interesting take on something that did happen, but that she changes for different purposes. Yeah, I think there's so much to unpack in in what you're implying there. Like this movie, I mean, I think the first thick question about this movie that I want to ask you guys is, um, is this a documentary? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it described as a doc as a docudrama, which doesn't sound right either. I think of uh, a a playful narrative documentary, but maybe not. I don't. I, I I'm not trying to necessarily find so many specific larger truths or different contexts I don't know I was kind of approaching it as is at least for those first couple of watches I don't know if that makes any sense it does make sense um I guess part of the reason that I asked the question is it is generally considered to be a documentary it's a portrait of of uh Jane Birkin although most critics that are writing about the film love to point out that in many ways it's more of a portrait of Agnes Varda than it is of Jane Birkin. Um, but it's interesting to me because there are scenes in the movie where they are talking to each other and maybe it's just like that they are so, uh, they're, they're using dialogue that is so like playful and um, clever and layered with multiple meanings that it's hard for me to conceive of them like having the conversation in the in a, and also moves the plot forward of the film that's hard for me to conceive of, of it as something that wasn't if not scripted at least kind of discussed before they filmed it and then that makes me wonder like ultimately if this isn't necessarily depicting these people as they really are if it's not truly just a portrait of Jane Birkin which I think you know a description of that of the film as that does a great disservice to what this movie is both trying to do and doing um so then it becomes this it, it, to me this film like breaks my brain a little bit <laughs> in terms of you know Varda has been playing throughout her career with with blurring the line between documentary and fiction. And to me, this film is the ultimate example of that. There is it's a it's a it's a documentary about making the movie. But it does it almost seems like you can't really like come 
uh, see how my brain is breaking. I'm not even able to yeah. finish the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm at maybe a weird place or maybe I'm always at a weird place in my life where I think about the passages of time in a different way. And the older I get, the less mysterious things become. And so I don't know if that's just my excessively linear nature coming out. But going back to your your idea of a couple of minutes ago, Matt, talking about maybe kind of the first two uh, big set pieces in the film, I, I just feel like I am looking at another way of thinking about Cleo when she was at her crisis points in the film, because they begin in that cafe and they're doing so much of that mirror work, which really mm. suggests Cleo to me. And I think of them at the same time as these two older women in these settings where they were once also probably Cleo, you know, and Jane's at a crisis point in her life. Crisis meaning something is going to change either way, not, you know, necessarily a, a bad thing. And so thinking of that interplay, I totally agree. I I assume all of this was scripted because also we know Agnes's camera is incredibly fluid and incredibly precise as well. So there are no accidents at any point. Yeah, I think it's the it's the weird kind of culmination of her sinecature that she's been doing. It's almost like she had these like interviews with Jane Birkin and then wrote the pieces that she most wanted to investigate hmm. and then investigated more and then came up with some because it feels like this movie from what i've been reading mm -hmm. it, it was a long time filming like it's almost like they kept on going back like another idea would pop in their head and they would go back and you know all of a sudden we're recreating these uh tarzan jane uh john of arc and uh calamity jane type things and then they stop and make kung fu master and then go back to making the documentary again like it right. felt like and it pretend that they're making kung fu master <laughs> mm -hmm. in the documentary while, yeah in the documentary yeah. Yeah. It, if it feels like this is like the prototype for all the 90s and early 2000s american documentaries like errol morris's midwork where he starts doing like fast cheap and out of control where it's like there's a weird sense of like the recreation stuff is more just like fictitious creations and then like like roger uh not roger Moore, um michael Moore, like bowling for columbine where you're doing these like like the documentary is almost secondary to the uh the world that they're creating for the camera as well so there's this weird kind of like uh sense of this could be real but it's such a heightened reality that it it, it kind of blurs past experimental mode into like straight up, you know, uh, like <laughs> docudrama is such a, a weird word, but it, it is, it's this, it's this idea of making this art and exploring this art based off these interviews that you've created. So it's, it's like one step away from casting Jane, casting someone else in Jane Birkin's role like this this easily could be like the uh I'm not there the Bob Dylan yeah. movie where everyone else is playing that role because it's just it's just that one level away from uh from that from that like line which I I find fascinating because it means that there's a real like beautiful collaboration going on between the two of them 
like you almost sense that like Agnes was uh you know she's a little she's older than her and she's gone through a few more things um not as many you know Jane has had her ups and you know her different relationships her different uh, children but uh you can almost see like she's at a midlife crisis she feels like and like Anya's Varda is like bah it's really not that big of a deal you're Jane Birkin and so kind of like help show her that for most of the movie like look at the mirror you're fine and here look at this you're great like we're all great don't worry do you about see this how stuff. a sweater wears on you you'll be yeah. okay absolutely yeah here be naked in this picture what is wrong with you there's nothing so let's it, just move on I loved that I loved going over her body I found that, that to be such a satisfying uh, experience I I think that's the most erotic shot in cinema. I'm just going to say it. Like, (laughs) for me, it was not, but I completely understand what you are saying. I mean, there's live paintings. It's just this, like, there. It's it's both abstract and extremely specific. You know, like, Mm -hmm. and and the, yeah, I think just like everything about the movement of that shot is just incredible. Um, It's very like. Um, it's intimate and, and and especially you know to counter that with her dumping her bag out all over the steps it's mm-hmm. like uh you know you really you really do get a sense of um you know the impossibility of knowing somebody in cinema i think i was thinking about something she mentions later um again because i'm a thousand years old at this point and I think about our bodies in a different way and I appreciate being appreciated I appreciate that the body tells so much about the experience that we have and then for for both women there's still so much life to express in that but Jane really talking about how she never really felt like a girl and so I guess that's why I think about it in less erotic terms and more just the great, oh, I, I don't even have the words, the great capacity that we have that our body can express so much and it's still just a teeny, teeny part of us. Yeah. Yeah, her starting out as a model and being almost a prop in photos and almost there's a, a bit of a, like originally probably a disconnect, but then really throughout time she's just getting more in tuned with her body and the way she can use it to tell stories, which leads naturally into uh, performing uh, in front of the camera as opposed to just uh, modeling in front of the camera, which is a nice transition. Because once you realize how much you can, how much expression is achieved through the way that you move your body, the way that you hold your carriage, the way that you turn, um, and how much of that is needed in acting, it kind of becomes a, a, a really nice transition. This movie must have been, must be very different for French audiences um, from that perspective, uh, especially when it was released, because for for us, Jane Birkin, I think, well, you know, there's obviously the handbag, but I think it for anybody that kind of is familiar with her her actual work in um in film and music you know she's mostly thought of as a sex early sex symbol a model for sure like a fashion icon and then you know 
thought of in a way as almost like a puppet to for Serge Gainsbourg in in his in his music. Her film career was actually incredibly robust and lasted for thirty or forty years, um, and she was in tons of movies in France, some in England virtually all of which never made it to the U.S. and are kind of just largely unknown. So at the time of this film, she was a fairly famous person in France and kind of a movie star. Um, For us, there is that immediate sense when she's taking her place on that, um, you know, Ottoman or Chase Lounge, rather, that she's a model, um, you know, being replacing another model in a famous painting. Um, and I think that there's that, that immediate sense in the movie that they're going to play with that perception. Um, but I am curious to know how that would have played to a French audience at the time, because she had, I think, a very different um, persona and sort of public perception in France. I don't think it could be overstated that at that time she was an incredibly big deal and she was an incredibly big deal for a very long time. And I think that's why I maybe love the piece uh, when she is the muse the most, because I think it's positioned in the film very specifically. And it made me think about that thankless responsibility of being exploited and obsessed over and made into something else yeah i think that's one of the things that i enjoyed the most about the movie not only just getting to know more about jane birkin and reflexively anya Varda, but these concepts of what it means to be celebrity um you know, you have her as the model, as the the nude. Then you have her as the muse, and then you have her as the actress, and then you have you know the mother and the like. It's just always moving through like all these parts. It's almost it reminded me a lot of like almost more fully formed and mature uh, uh, reading of what Lions Love and Lies was trying to talk about when it comes to the icon and celebrity and actors. I feel like this as like they took a lot of that kind of experimental idea and made it more into a more palatable um, way of uh, communicating these uh, concepts. Um, you know, with every, with every kind of like different tableau that uh, Jane Birkin is in, being almost like a different facet of what it means to be um, a celebrity. Because, I mean, thinking, going back to what you said, Matt, about I wonder what the French were thinking about, I know that at some point um, the modeling she was doing was almost like frowned upon or considered distasteful because it was so um, like uh, subversively erotic um, in terms of its like. Uh, the S and M leathery type stuff that uh that probably a lot of people weren't that super into at some points, but uh, I mean Liars. The idea, yeah, and the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the lady doth protest too much. Um, yeah, then having her uh, be uh, supplanted into a you know is it Titian that painting that's at the beginning? Yeah, uh, yeah, in that in that you know Venus type position, and have her be a part of classical um, art. You know, it really kind of 
puts that back into perspective all of her previous work that you know that is the same sort of eroticism or Mm -hmm. you know study of beauty that has always taken place in france and so i'd have to assume that some of the people who might not have fully embrace that might come around when seeing her into a position like that i think she's overall an incredibly playful person and i love to see that come out it's and and that she can be playful and still be challenging but with more of a wink than anything else it seems like i think you could have said everything you just said about both of these women Mm -hmm. right i mean they they both have that sense of uh, i think you know uh rich uh inner lives that are the end being able to express those rich inner lives through both their work and just through the words that they speak um but at the same time they they don't take anything too seriously and they are very willing to um, get, you know, into the sandbox and play with their toys. I mean, in a lot of ways, this movie is like the, it's a more sophisticated equivalent of, you know, a shot of a guy holding his hand out and saying, God, I wish I had a cheeseburger. And then there's like a, you know, the, the jump frame to like a cheeseburger appearing in his hand. I mean, it's like she, 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 they'll say something like, oh, wouldn't this be great? And it's kind of like duck and muck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, like Jane Birkin is, is Daffy Duck and Agnes Varda is, is Bugs Bunny. Uh, I guess that's a spoiler for duck and muck. Sorry. But <laughs> wait, what? Um, you know, um, the they're basically is... like saying like, let's do, let's do this. Like, oh, you want Jean-Pierre Leo to be in your, uh, to, to, to act in your movie? Sure. We'll do that too. That sounds great. I mean, Varda at one point uh, in one interview said that her idea for the movie was like after uh, a famous actor dies, they'll do they'll show like clips of them from their famous movies mixed in with interviews of them. And she wanted to make a movie for Jane Birkin like that. But before she died and with all all fake movies, fake movies, right? Which is fun. I mean, that's a silly idea. It's just like a straightforwardly silly concept. It is. I also, I think that they both share a quality that I really enjoy, which is being unapologetic. That regardless of what anyone is saying in any sort of cultural context about what you're doing is incorrect or great or whatever, it's just exactly what they want to do. At least that's what I like to think happened for both of them. Yeah, they don't feel like there's any judgment from either side about anyone's choices. And being that unapologetic leads to these fun moments because then they could be free. She's not super concerned about her image that she won't put herself in a ridiculous situation, which that's always the best. It's always fun. It's like watching a it's like watching a, uh, you know, like a, the original uh, Ocean's Eleven where you have a bunch of a bunch of people just having fun and no pretension and they're just kind of doing their thing as opposed to like you know caring so much about how they're being perceived they're just a bunch of people getting together and and just being creative and which i you know i love that i love that about this movie because it is that uh you know that making imaginary movies that she should have starred in and uh it's so fun because it is that you know you you can see that there are these conversations that they were having and then at you know varda with her 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 way about her with the 
the deep, rich, uh, artistic history that she kind of brings to everything she does, this deep study of kind of what art is and what photography means and, and, you know, putting her into these positions that both frame her as an individual, but also as a uh, part of a larger history of, uh, of kind of the things. And, uh, it's so, it's so, it's so playful and magical and fun watching them just, uh, interact with each other at the same time as, uh, you know, getting to explore their imagination of what they, what they, uh, whatever they can, uh, come up with. I didn't know I was going to have as much fun as I did. I, I didn't expect that. And that was a delightful, delightful surprise. It is. It, it feels a lot like, again, like the, the movie is, is most concerned with that delightful surprise you know like it's 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 that what what makes this movie so so i think difficult for me to kind of like unpack is that it exists as this whole in terms of there are there is a logical stream of consciousness that makes sense throughout the film and when you step back as well the the structure of the film is is incredibly clever i mean Mm. just to start with the fact that the movie begins with the story of her uh 30th birthday and we return to the scene the same scene um at the end of the film uh when she's just about to celebrate her 40th birthday um and the entire crew comes in uh, just to remind us that, you know, this was an actual film that was being made, uh, about her. Um, there, there is this just like it, it all, it, it, what was the other thing? Oh, uh, somebody asked, um, Jane Birkin, uh, how, like what about her comedies and how she like kind of didn't, uh, like them very much anymore and she said comedies are like croissants they're best hot Mm. when hot (laughs) and there is this like confectionery or or patisserie feeling to this film where it is this light fluffy crunchy delicious thing that at the same time like you look and there are a hundred layers inside of it somebody put you know, 12 hours of, of work and thought into, into what you're, you know, shoving into your face. And I, I do feel like there's this sense that she just tossed this movie off, but at the same time, when you sit down and think about it, it's like, is this a portrait? It is, was she intentionally kind of creating this feeling of, of like what this movie is? Is this a, is this a portrait or a film that's meant to be the film equivalent of a uh, portrait like T- like Titian used to do? And if it is, is it that way in order to better illuminate the life or essence or personality or whatever, or even thoughts of Jane Birkin? Or is Jane Birkin merely the model like as she's often seen or the vessel for this construction of a cinematic portrait that had never been created before. I think that part of it is, is something that like I have a very difficult time 
getting a hold of. And maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. Well, no, I don't I... think you're crazy. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> oh, and I don't think that I, I, I don't know that it's necessarily the, the latter. I don't know that we are that we have to have an answer for it. It reminds me a lot, too, of uh, conceptually of Irma Vep, which, again, I think maybe mm. is the sort of French thing. But I think it's as close as a collaboration can get to create one work with two voices. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think uh, I think that's what's that's where this film has its charm not only is it that but you can also you know as we've been doing this whole season looking at Varda's work kind of chronologically is you can still see touches of her early documentaries that she did her travel log type ones where everything is playful and juxtaposed and uh, where she can't get real footage or even if it is real it's too boring to be real so she decides to elevate it with gardeners doing a choreographed raking of the lawn in like almost like a Bubsy Berkeley musical and uh, you know moving forward into like even documentor where you have this idea of this of this woman and her ref self-reflective and uh, getting re you know in touch with herself again and then you move forward into this piece here and it's almost like she's you know she's been working at this movie like over the course of her time and it's it's like from here it, it's almost like from here she has decided like you know this is the type of storytelling I want to do because from here on out like well it's just two more like feature um, narrative type films but from here on out it becomes mostly about documentaries and about telling these stories and being creative and fun and on the fly and you know uh being able to be flexible and move quickly to all these other ideas so it feels like you know she has the the money and the uh and the perfect uh partner to tell this story with because at this point um 88 i think she just got back with demi is that true no yeah they i think yeah. they were together yeah. yes yeah i think 88 yeah. they got back together um after yeah their break for a while because probably he was starting to feel uh not well at this point yeah. and so she wanted to make sure that he's helped be take care of but uh um i have to assume i, that I think like, i think your i think your document tour uh comparison is an interesting one and you know i think the the shot of of her uh, uh i forget the name of the woman sabine um, sabine yeah. mamu mamu um laying in bed naked and looking at herself in the mirror essentially in a similar pose to how um birkin is is in uh, in this portrait um you know i think again like the the cleo mirror comparison that you made mm -hmm. erica there's a lot of varda in this movie so it's not like she just said um you know take me where you want to go i'm i'm your you know director who and you're in charge of of where this movie leads um but at the same time if she had made this movie with someone with a different woman it wouldn't be the same movie by any stretch so you, I, I think that's a good point that this is a film made by two women um, and it 
it's unique to their sensibilities and it's emerging of their sensibilities in a lot of ways. I, I look back at Vagabond and I think about, um, I think about that as being another direct line uh, because I think you can see visually they, they, they match up quite a bit, but thinking about um, Sandrine Bonner being her other collaborator, but being such a young person at that point, though she still was fully capable, obviously, but thinking about how, Anya's has chosen these different collaborators and I think Jane is really fun at that point where she specifically calls her whether that was scripted or not but she calls her chef in terms of boss and that's a really fun way to do it it it, to me it strikes me more as like you were saying I'm not going along with you for the ride just as this person who has no input but it's a completely different relationship and well into their friendship. And then if you look at how Jane is exploring these other relationships, that's 20 years into the relationship with Serge. Mm-hmm. It's 16 years into her journey as a mother. It's second full partnership with uh, a man with whom she had children. She's right in the middle of that as well. It's so many interesting forces at work. Yeah, there's a, the, the, the facets of her multitude, you know, she has so many pieces and parts. And that's that's part of the fun of, you know, Anya's recognizing that and kind of exploring each section and kind of delving into it and kind of trying to figure out some iconography to go with that face that should be put to that uh, type of feeling. Um, you know, we have that muse and then we go into the Serge Gainberg stuff and then later um, she's portraying Calamity Jane, but it's not the Calamity Jane we all know, like the the, the, the rough and tumble rabble uh, causing problems, stirring up shit. It's the Calamity Jane who's writing a letter to her daughter, which is, you know, almost the maternal side of this character that we're not too familiar with. At least I wasn't that familiar with that idea. And to have that be part of the, you know, just um, her um, talking about, you know, that idea of being out and being in the face of things while also growing and having this child and and kind of having to, uh, you know, still try to hold a, a regular life down and together. Like, <laughs> I love that scene where she, like, gets home. She's like... I like to take off my crazy clothes that I wear out there and just sweaters and jeans, you know, just getting down to being me and, you know, which at this point is such a, like a funny shorthand. Cause we've all seen that like at every, like it becomes a shorthand in every movie. The lady comes home and gets into some comfortable jeans and a loose sweater. And that's, that's just like, now I'm down to natural me. And it's a, it's such a, that point is such a, it's such a funny point in that, in that piece. It almost felt like a Mr. Rogers. I'm going to come in, I'm going to take off my jacket. I'm going to put on my sweater. And now I'm at home, Jane Birkin. <laughs> well, but Var- Varda like calls her out for it immediately. Of She's course. like, hold on a second. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're still, you're still wearing designer clothes. Yeah. Like you're Jane Birkin, like you, and you like being Jane Birkin. That's it, part of it too. Yeah. And why shouldn't she really? Yeah, I mean, totally. <laughs> it seems pretty great. I like that same section for a different reason, that whole idea of coming home to the answering machine. And that means responsibilities, which is not super fun because 
four moments ago she was Jane Birkin and yeah. now it's completely different. But again, it's that piece of how often do we see women probably, I don't want to make incredibly broad generalizations. I'm sure it's the same for men, but getting to see different facets of a human being. So, but still specifically kind of the big ones, you know, mother, lover, artist, muse, mm. those big high points. But yeah. I also loved, this is a fun thing about knowing a bit of a different language, but I love those moments when you hear something that is not fully translated in the subtitles and it adds a little extra dimension because when she's talking about that room, she says, I never liked this room. I don't think it turned out right. I don't know why. And that was my favorite part of her being just sort of a fun pixie and talking about her process and that it still didn't come to create the thing that she ultimately set out to create. Yeah, and that's what I mean. And that kind of—that's the encapsulation of, of life, right? You know, I didn't mm-hmm. set out to create this, but this is the uh, this is what it came out to be, and it's uh, it's serviceable and workable, and it's happy. And the, the moments of her saying, "Yeah, I I decided to make this kitchen bigger so all my kids can be in my kitchen while we're while I'm working on and doing stuff," just getting that feeling of kind of like family and together and closeness, which is great. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, as air, yeah. as, you know. <laughs> it is. It's, it it's, is. It's a big, delightful sigh. It really is, you know. I mean, I didn't even get into the fact that she's like the heir of the uh, sandal fortune. Birkenstocks. Bur- <laughs> I'm just. No. Yes, oh, I did I that. Oh, my oh, God. Come on. <laughs> it's every once in a while I got to throw those things out there to Good like really Lord. derail what we're doing. <laughs> Matt, is that going to be edited out? I think, yeah, I think, I think the, this whole episode is now going to. Travis is going to be. Welcome to the complete podcast episode. with Matt Gasteyer and uh... <laughs> and his only special guest. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you two fellows specifically. We were talking a little bit before we got started with the recording proper about first days of school coming up. Mm. And you both have children. I do not have children. What is it like as you grow older? And obviously your children are growing older too. And they reflect back your age to you, I'm assuming Mm. at least at some point. (laughs) (laughs) How How has that changed as they've changed? And have you changed? I know these are gigantic questions. Um, Matt? Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big question. I asked you before. I have, a, I, have a, I have the older kids. I'll go, I'll, I have the older daughter, so I'll go, for, I'll go first. It's okay. a, it is super, it is fascinating. Um, I find the, the whole process of watching this person who has, in my brain been one thing turn into a multitude of things over the course of time and realize that my ability to still become a multitude of things is not limited anymore like i yes there's this idea that i'm like as you get older you're you narrow down to a single person that you are and that's it and the more that I see my kids doing and 
trying and experimenting, the more it makes me, instead of shutting those things down for myself, makes me want to explore those things more. And so, uh, like this year, I took a big, I did a whole career change. Um, I, I work now at Emerson College, and I decided to take that chance to do something different with my life because I should be able to still be able to make those choices and still be modeling for them also that you don't have to be stuck in a box that you've either created for yourself or that others have created for you. And I'm constantly preaching that to them. And I preach it to their friends too. Whenever the, the, the phrase that drives me the most crazy in kids' mouths these days are things like, I'm not really a sushi person. Mm. No, dude. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're just a person. Like you may not like sushi now, but by boxing yourself into this role that you're, 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 your whole persona is defined by this I'm not, I don't like sushi, limits you forever so you have to stop doing that you can just say i haven't really tried it enough i don't know if i like it enough like Mm -hmm. you have to change that you can't define yourself that way which is but that's part of their process but as an adult it's my it's my i feel it's my responsibility to constantly remind don't limit yourself stop limiting yourself you're everything you can be anything like and i know it's crazy you can't always be everything but you have to have the possibility to be things open because if you limit yourself, it just becomes so, so restrictive and reductive. And I, it, it breaks my heart to see people that have just stopped growing and changing because of that. Matt? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I am with you. I am with you. I'm going to interject to give Matt time to think about his response. Um, the thing that that bugs me so much is... I agree with the sentiment, but not at the same time. So something I always heard from my grandparents specifically was, oh, yeah, I've always been, I've always traveled. That they would say, yes, do all this traveling now while you're still young. Mm -hmm. And while I appreciate the idea that, yes, start traveling early because it gives you a different perspective on life, but then also never stop. There is literally no reason to stop. Nope. And and once you do, once you make that decision, nothing's going to blast you out of it. And I don't ever want to be in that position. Completely. I agree yeah. 100%. Okay, yeah, Matt, th- your turn. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm oh, sorry, no. There, I mean, there's so, no, there's so much there. I mean, first of all, like, um, uh, I have, especially like post-COVID, that when we were like locked in, in our house uh, with each other and like all we had was just like listening to music and drinking cocktails, we have, my wife and I have like really expanded our musical taste into areas that we uh, didn't initially anticipate. And we've like reframed the way we thought about certain things, like people of our generation, like you know, Gen X into late, into early millennials. Um, if there are certain bands that are like not cool, 
you know what I mean? Like they're <laughs> they're too smooth, or they like they're not part of the right. You know, they don't run in the right circles, all that kind of stuff. Give me an example. Um, name names. Well, the big the biggest one is Steely Dan. Dan. So I'm obsessed with Steely Dan now. I'm obsessed Before with Steely Dan. I didn't like Steely Dan. Why am I not supposed to be? Steely Dan is amazing. <laughs> well, no, there was there was a sense. Uh, I mean, especially like my parent. You know, my parents are like Stones freaks, so it's like anything that sounds like smooth or well-produced is fake or phony. Um, ah. But I've delved d- deeper beyond this. I'm talking Doobie Brothers, uh, Hall and Oates, uh, you know, um, and even b- beneath, like, lower than that as well. I won't supply. go into it. But one thing that, that uh, at one point, my wife, we were listening to some somebody, I forget who it was. It might have been, like, Seals the police or something. And she goes... I'm not, uh, I'm not ready for that yet. And I feel like that's the way you should like approach anything that you don't like. You should just be like, I am not ready for that yet. Cause like, you never know. You really don't. <laughs> you have to keep evolving. Um, but the, what I was going to say is, I mean, I think with like adults, you know, it's, it's that like classic thing of like adults are just, um, kids that have learned how to pretend to be adults better. Mm. And I feel like you as you age you keep thinking to yourself like what the hell like i can't believe i'm 30 i feel exactly the same as i did when i was a teenager or Mm -hmm. i can't believe i'm 40 i feel exactly Mm -hmm. the same as i did when i was 25 um and i think what except when you like bend over yes exactly i moved i moved like and then you're 50 it's like (laughs) what just happened so why can't why am i lying down now for a week because i oh my god well, I moved some need wood to, to uh, take some more vitamins. I certainly <laughs> never feel that way. Oh, of I'm course, much older of course. Than both of you. Yes. No, we're the same age, Erica. We're Are exactly we? the same age. I turned, oh. I turned the same age as you in March. Oh, okay, okay. But but and yeah, I moved. I moved. I stacked some wood yesterday, and I this I'm gonna be in, I'm gonna be in this chair for like a week. <laughs> This is that my wife's going to be wheeling me around in this chair to do oh all, my of my, all of my all of my activities. He also made Eric. He also made a whole stack of flapjacks and uh, <laughs> well, that's what we do. Varmints off the porch with his uh, his shotgun. Um, I, I've got it is a hundred thousand degrees here. I don't even know I... the concept of of stacking wood <laughs> at this point i cannot even relate to your experience oh you gotta come you gotta come up to new england erica we'll stack oh, some wood okay thanks i will <laughs> stack wood rake leaves oh yeah, what the good the good stuff <laughs> what are you um, talking about i, I miss yeah. rushmore i miss the seasons uh, yeah um no so i i mean like i think what what people have to stop saying is like, I can't believe I'm whatever age I am. Like who cares? Like you are. So there's only one option for you to like get on with your life and do whatever it is that you want to do because yeah, I have a mental image. Every time I close my eyes, my mental image of myself is at 19. So I'm constantly surprised that anyone listens to me. (laughs) <laughs> like whenever That's like too, you know yeah. I've, I've sat there in a producer's office in a movie and like help them make like a like a five million dollar decision 
and they listened to me. And I'm walking away going, I can't fucking believe they listened to me. Yeah. Like I'm 19, like I look like a punk ass kid. Why are they even talking to me about this stuff? Yeah. And then I like you know catch a catch myself in the reflection of the door and go, oh yeah, dude, you're almost fifty. Yeah. When did <laughs> so, Andy Rooney come in the office? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. To be fair though, Travis, you ruined that movie. Oh, so. completely. I mean, well, yeah, that was a it was a poor choice. I don't I don't know yeah. why they didn't I don't know why they listened Ooh. to me to begin with. Scared. But uh, no, but I, I I like the question, Erica, because I think that the, that it, it it is a way of thinking about this movie, which is that you know, and and obviously, like the part of the reason that this movie was created was Jane Birkin said to Hannes Varda, uh, "I can't believe I'm going to be forty and Varda was like, "I'm going to make a movie." for you about how ridiculous it is that you just said that (laughs) basically and this movie is about like the limitless possibility of this woman who you know happens to be hitting a round number uh in age and the uh incredible options that are available to her in terms of of, you know exploring her 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 creativity (laughs) hang on one second though (laughs) <laughs> that that does not the, reflect the experience of all people turning oh, no. 40 or all women. And it certainly, I don't think, reflected what the cultural pushback would be at that time because we're nearly 40 years away from that. And it's still a big deal to see a woman of any age that is not, you know, 27 doing really anything. It's it's. It's different now, for sure, and it's different in the last few years, but I think more often than not, we are told, and maybe that's what Travis was talking about in terms of modeling a different story, but we are often told that, yeah, you're 40 now, that's fine. You are going to live through your children, and this part of your life is over. Yeah, that's that sad, that's that like that sad choice, like instead of... Uh, you know, I have friends now that their kids are going to college and they have this like, oh, it's going to be so sad without them. I'm like, no, if you did your job right, you're excited that they're gone because they're having a life now and they're exploring and they're 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 they get to start their journey. Your journey continues like you don't stop it. Like there's not a hole. There's there's you know, it's a it's a it's a branch like the branch is still there it grows away from the tree like if you've done it right it's not a hole it's a it's just a a limb that kind of keeps growing on its own way eventually bears a seed drops to the ground and starts their own tree and that's how that's how it should be and there's that idea that you know with jane birkin hitting that 40 mark and you know varda like saying like what matt was saying like you know this is ridiculous you said that but then also at the same point it's it's what you're saying erica which is it's also ridiculous because you're jane birkin like like you have a whole different life than everyone else like whatever your midlife crisis is isn't even close to the average person's midlife crisis about this moment you've you look at the rich life you led Look at all the things you've done. Look at the famous people that you've been with. Look at the the off the beautiful offspring you've made. Look like look at well, but and correct me if I'm wrong, Erica. But I also feel like you're saying that like even for Jane Birkin, like a woman hitting forty, she's not going to be 
in the sexy time magazines handcuffed to a radiator yes. anymore. Yes, yeah, like, someone is saying, uh, no, that that phase is over. So let's right. not do anything else like that. And then we have this amazing shot of following her body. And we each three have completely different oh, reactions yes. to it. And I'm sure there were people looking at it thinking, oh, kill scandal. You're welcome <laughs> from, my, from my French there. Uh, <laughs> that I can't believe I'm looking at this old lady. <laughs> or whatever you know, well, I'm, we, we were I'm talking about pre-code uh, we were talking about pre-code uh, a couple weeks ago Erica and I get a kick out of in pre-code movies when there's like two teenagers who are like they're like just graduating high school or and like one of them and they're they're thinking about getting married and like one of them goes home to like tell the parents and the mom and dad are, look like they're like 85 and they're like oh <laughs> yeah. my little baby's growing up and it's like oh ma <laughs> it's like i look and you like you google the woman and they? she's like 43 exactly. yeah yeah exactly. all of those women always younger than me and is that how is that how the world sees me <laughs> well, that's, that's what i, I was you know i don't know that's what I was trying to say with Varda. Like she's like it's almost like she's like because she doesn't feel that way, and she's always kind of railed against that concept of how women are kind of put into those boxes uh, by society. You know, just you know, putting it right out there and going, "You're forty. Look how beautiful you are. You're forty. Mm-hmm. Look at what you've accomplished. You're forty. Like, don't let anyone tell you that you need to be burned at the stake like Joan of Arc. You need to." be doing whatever you want to be doing with your time, your life, your energy. Let, let me prove it to you. Let's make this movie. Let's 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 make Kung Fu Master. You want to you want to you want to flip the t- flip the script and have it be about an older woman who falls in love with a teenage boy instead of the v- reverse that the French have made 100 movies about this mm-hmm. year. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just this year alone. <laughs> you know, let's do it. Let's let's show everyone, you know, let's big old middle finger to everyone about that idea and that's what that's the other thing i love and i love uh, matt you were talking about how the the movie has a nice bookends of 30 and then 40 at the end and then we also open with that painting of her on the couch on the chaise lounge on the chaise lounge um and then uh, chaise longue. exactly and then at the end on the chaise long on the chaise all day long <laughs> Um, and then at the end, she's she's the character in the background that's kind of like digging through the uh, yeah. hamper of stuff like just, you know, the concept that she's she's all these roles in this picture like that. And she's she's allowed to be and she can be. And it shouldn't be something that is, uh, you know, looked down upon or uh, or, uh, or uh, a surprise like it should be something that is OK. You know, it just should be regular, should be normal. And I've always appreciated about Varda always pushing those envelopes, like turning her drifter in a vagabond uh, from a male to a woman to to make a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, Cleo making a model have all these inner thoughts and inner lives and self reflective nature, and finally figuring out what it is to be uh, turn uh, turn her her gaze inward on herself as opposed to just reflecting back what everyone else thinks of her and it's 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 so lovely it's lovely in that she had such a great partner to do that with well and they they still though eventually had to make the film and then those of us in the u.s couldn't see it for another 30 yeah. plus years so yeah. it's <laughs> there 
who it, Jane it has who? to be done. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. But I, I I definitely feel the older I get, I don't know how the two of you feel, but there are times when I when I for sure feel invisible, just specifically because of my age. Oh, in Erica, this gender. I, I just started working at a college with 19-year-olds. I am completely <laughs> invisible. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've I've reached full adult dad status and there is nothing <laughs> nothing attainable, nothing nothing desirable about that. <laughs> Isn't that laugh. fascinating because uh, I'm going to get a little well, I mean, a gosh, PG-13 maybe or R-rated, but I think we get better as we get older and i think we get more interesting and desirable and better at things that are desirable and it's shocking to not have that uh reflected back at you and i appreciate this film i appreciate this film i appreciate (laughs) that they made this film i appreciate that it exists and travis i think you need to then show this to your kids friends as well as a thing to model for sure. It's hard though. You now. have to say like it is hard because it's Jane Birkin. Like it's I I hear what you're saying totally, but like <laughs> I, I mean, and I'm with you a hundred percent. Like you know, I look. I I live in I live in Concord, Massachusetts, home of the like fifty to seventy year old uh, cardigan wearing hot lady. So <laughs> my wife knows all about my uh, my hangups. Um, <laughs> Now, now all of the podcast listeners do as well. Um, but I do feel, but I have to say like, <laughs> ladies, you know, watch out. It's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, be careful at the books at the Concord bookshop. That's all I'm going to say in the, in the history section. Um, uh, but, you know, I think like for, for. It's, it's tough to get that message across when you are talking about like a, you know, fashion and beauty icon <laughs> well it's like that line in the barbie movie this point would be better served if it yes, wasn't played we, by yeah, margot robbie yeah <laughs> right <laughs> totally yeah. um but i but i think the other thing about like that's interesting to me about it is like this this message is is certainly more mainstream than it was in the 80s this idea that like you know women don't have to um you know uh, put put a sheet over their heads when they're when they hit 40 um but but i think like it not only is it more common now <laughs> you don't do that erica that's not a thing you do yeah, you don't have your like dress sheet for when you have to go out for a night on the town <laughs> frankly i get told all the time put a bag over that thing <laughs> what's, what's happening no <laughs> um i am a librarian now which has its own Oh my God, Erica! Fetishistic market. Yes, so, I mean it's a different world. You, do you wear cardigans? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, if it were not Texas, I might. Yes, oh there you God. go. Exactly. But, um, yeah. No, so I, no, I mean, like for me, um, like this, the message is more common now, but it's also like already kind of been co-opted by like advertising. You know, it's like you. Like you, you don't have to stop drinking Coke when you're 40. Like that's not that literally the thing, but it's like, you know, they're selling this, uh, the, the idea of quote unquote feminism back to people now, even that like the sequence, cause we talked about this for, for the women reply short 
um, that she made where it, it feels like a Dove commercial. Mm, and like, okay. if you, you know, the scene where she dumps out her bag and she's like, you know, do you know, like anything about me now? Like I could totally see that being an ad for, for a fancy designer bag. Um, and, and I'm not saying that to say that like th- this movie feels like an ad because it's much richer than what the, um, representation or sort of co-opting of those like, concepts would be in an actual ad. But I think, again, we're seeing with Varda that she was significantly ahead of her time in terms of the things that she was talking about and confronting um, to the point where like now some of what she's saying has been subsumed into the capitalist uh you know, muck of trying to sell back your idea of individuality to to you. Yeah. Uh, well, let me just wind your neck back in for a second <laughs> and give you a, a different perspective. So, yes, I 1000% agree with you. I basically am bombarded with ads all the time that tell me how I look is okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. um, and so when I am in a dating situation, the, the question I get asked most often is uh, whether I have short or long hair, that that is a specific question that needs to be asked that I'm interpreting here reflects back on my physical attractiveness. And when I have short hair, I'm somehow um, some sort of brave and interesting individual that I I don't even know what to make of that. And then the you're spunky. Thing, oh, you've God, got spunk. Do you know what? Do you know what's <laughs> really crazy? That is actually my. I can't believe I'm going to say this on a podcast. That is my family's nickname for me, and has oh been God. since I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear god um but yeah apparently i've got spunk i'm at that age again i can have it when i was little and then i can have it when i'm an old lady and the other thing i get congratulated for by certain people is i don't wear makeup and oh that's such a bold and interesting choice that's so um, brave that's so Jesus brave of you. god <laughs> dear lord and and then i'll, I'll get complimented on it as in Oh, thank right. you so well, much. Well, you know, Erica, I like I like women better without makeup. That's Ugh. a thing for me. Oh, gross. <laughs> so, so there's so many things. So uh, I am I am I am a thing to be classified and analyzed right. yeah. and objectified in a number of different ways. I'm sure dating apps help with that, though. You know, just oh, really sure. fix that problem, <laughs> like really kind of like help people get to know the real you. <laughs> So, Absolutely. yeah, the, the reductive nature of that whole system is just predicated on uh, instant attraction and zero anything else. And it's such a, it's such a, uh, such a horrible way to go about things. But I it's kind of interesting in this movie that these points are not explicitly made for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. obviously, there is that sequence with her talking about how she's flat chested and she's always been self-conscious about it. But beyond that, the... the there's very little kind of direct confrontation of these concepts, but it is omnipresent. Um, yeah. In particular, like the concept of aging um, is is all is throughout the the film. It's just that it's not it's not a movie about it's not it's not this is forty like the mm-hmm. Judd Apatow movie. Mm-hmm. You know? 
I love when Jane's talking about the story that she wrote that's going to be incorporated in someone else's work, which is so interesting to me. I, I, I really like to think that she said that in a tongue-in-cheek way after we've talked about all of these other relationships that took parts of her in order to make something else, um, but that she doesn't have much imagination. And I really relate to that. I've always related to that. But I like to think as well that that serves a purpose that you're not necessarily thinking that every single person is constantly evaluating you on some aspect of your physical or emotional life. That's like that's like perfect world thinking. That's like you you hope it's the struggle, right? Like there's that the the look, the look from the toe up that then then I'll gauge whether or not what you're saying has value. Mm-hmm. And that's that's such a horrible horrible experience for everyone but it's such a uh, a uh, constant that keeps on happening and i think and i, I this is where <laughs> this is where i'm always like you know i'll always say things like movies don't make people violent people are just violent but then at the same time i go the media is evil and keeps perpetuating <laughs> these stereotypes and these <laughs> myths about how everything needs to be and we need to be wary and careful of it but movies you can learn a lot from. But the media, <laughs> man, I don't know. It's you know you watch advertisements yeah. and it's pretty insidious. And now it's like everywhere because it's even more so because you can't watch a YouTube video without getting an advertisement. And then I have to explain to my son, you know, Mr. Beast is uh is basically just a walking advertisement for a million different things, and he's subtly just telling everyone how to think, behave, act, uh, oh, respond, God. buy, where to put their money. Um, oh, wow. and, and it's it's horrible and because they're not an actual advertisement, they're a person, a personality that's just talking mm-hmm. all day, it becomes like even even worse because that's how you get to these right. uh, people who don't know how to separate reality from fiction because there is the, the line is blurred so heavily by so many things that it's hard to do that. So it's like that's part of my and like they should be teaching media studies to kids as soon as they're as soon as they're yes. in kindergarten. Absolutely. Like this is what the world is and this is everyone is selling you something. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, because because like because it's very easy for for as a parent like if somebody, you know, shoots somebody in a movie or uh, you know, whatever like does something that you know isn't appropriate or is is terrible, like you can talk through that with them. That, and and ultimately, I think any sort of balanced, well-adjusted kid is going to understand those things and, uh, you know, de- reckon with them very healthily. On the other hand, it, what's really insidious is is the the stuff that isn't explicit and is so almost like a taken for for granted. It's almost like a given. I mean, even just like the the very notion that. Um, movies in this country for 30 years were censored by hard right, uh, a hard right organization that was, you know, violently uh, sexist, racist, anti-Semitic, um, and like, just all the things. I, I mean, just intent the... like on on you know perpetuating. Like it's kind of like like Ram. Like I'd show my kid Rambo before I'd show my kid top gun you know what i mean like it's like there is there is the there's the stuff that's like 
explicit uh, about what it is and what it's doing. And then there's the stuff that is, um, that's, you know, pro propaganda. And, and a lot of it doesn't even really know that it's propaganda. And that's what be, when it becomes really dangerous. And I think films like, like this and, um, and Varda's films in general are um, movies that uh, illuminate how insidious those things are because they're so absent in her work. And if you, you know, sit down with them and engage with them in that way, you start to see in other movies the things that people take for granted um, that are really damaging to people and that do perpetuate um, a lot of the... Uh, you know, negative aspects of our society. So I think that component of it is definitely um, profound in what she's doing. And she's doing it without um, calling attention to it. She She's yeah. simply doing it. Without being didactic about it. Yeah. It's, it reminds me a little bit about the whole concept of Schitt's Creek, saying that Schitt's Creek exists in a world that is better than the one that we live in, yeah. better than the one that exists. And it's a fascinating concept. It's a, it's, I would much rather show people that in any Anya's Varda than, God, what I imagine young people have to deal with within social media in terms of turning themselves into a commodity that is utilized by other people i cannot imagine what that feels like and and those things that are constantly reflected back to you telling you whatever you're doing is wrong do this other thing and it's just getting perpetuated over and over and over again yeah it's a it's a minefield it's it's hard to it's hard to parent and i ruin so many things and and I uh, and my kids have so many mm -hmm. things that they don't get to have like other kids have. Yeah. Like it's just stupid stuff like Fortnite. Fortnite, I keep on explaining. My dad and my son's like, can I get Fortnite? I'm like, no. And I go, here's my reason why. It's a game built for you to only be able to get better at the game if you spend money. Wow. You can't genuinely achieve a like uh, you can't be better at the game you can't it's not like mario where you play world one and then you keep playing it until you get better at it and it teaches you how to play it and it teaches you how to get better at the game as you go it's a game that you can only get better is if you pay money into the game and there's so many games like that now that are super addictive yeah. And that just want you to spend money and they have all the filters off and they allow the kids to spend money without parents permission. And you could like it's it's absolutely crazy. And I say, but there's no how can you get joy out of something in which you haven't earned anything because it's instant gratification. It's just I play and then, oh, I want to get better. I want that gun. I want that skin. I have to pay the money to get that skin. And now I'm this thing. And there's no like earning that thing. And so it's really hard and my son, it drives my son crazy. But at the same time, like I hear him every once in a while say to a friend, yeah, that game's all right. It's just making you pay money. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> well, I did it. Well, it does so remind me of my dad uh, giving me quarters when I was a kid to play Pac-Man. That, <laughs> that very much was the same concept. Mm -hmm. And boy, I was here for it. 
Well, oh, that that ties into the the next movie where where the kid is obsessed with a video game. But it, it, one thing about video games that drives me or arcades that drives me crazy now is like it's no longer like you're it's playing you're playing a game. You're just trying to win tickets. It's entirely That's a it. gambling situation. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's just gambling for ki- gambling for kids. And by the way, you can win ten thousand tickets and you get like a tennis ball. It's, I mean, like, it's Mustache all, comb. it's entirely about the, 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 uh, enjoyment that you get out of winning the tickets and then out of getting something that seemingly, you know, you're getting for free because the tickets didn't cost money. It cost money to play the game that you won the tickets with. It's like an entire system that's constructed to get people like obsessed with, with gambling and spending money. Uh, on useless shit. <laughs> oh, what a bunch uh, of yeah. killjoys you guys are. <laughs> it's horrible. It's, it's rough out horrible. there, Erica. It's, it's rough, rough out there, Erica. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, it is. It's a uh, and yeah, that that whole the whole system of that new arcade style is uh, yeah. is frustrating because you can't you can't you can't win, and all you're doing is spending twenty dollars to get a. A, a 75 cents right. box of nerds Isn't and that? you're like i can't believe that that is, this is what just happened like, the, like there's nothing you could do and you're just like oh like and you, okay. you feel you feel you can't give it to everything but hold on yeah. tell me if you feel this way specifically because it is now your money that is being spent so is that what my dad felt but i couldn't see that and I couldn't care less, and I want to go to every arcade and play skee ball forever just to get the stupid nerds. Yeah, so. I mean, obviously, like every every generation of parents is like, oh, like these fucking kids today. Like my my parents would have hated this, like or wouldn't wouldn't have allowed any of this. And like, it's probably exactly the same. We're just being like the old the old new parent yeah. generation. That being <laughs> yeah. said, like. If my kids want to go to an arcade to like play Pac-Man, like I'm all for it. Here's five bucks. Have fun. You know, like actually we, there is a vintage arc. There's some vintage arcade um, places in the area and we've totally gone to those yeah. and gone crazy with them. Cause the, it's like that experience is at least about like, you know, interacting with something, trying to get better at it. Like the tickets stuff, I mean, skee-ball is great, don't get me wrong. But other than skee-ball, it's like, one is just like, you shoot this guy out of a cannon and you're trying to get him to land on top of a building. And it costs like $2 to play. Oh, And you push God. one button and, <laughs> and the game's over. And the game's over. Oh, okay. That's yeah. not good. No, it's, like, it's 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 the video game version of the uh, four shortened hoops for uh, right. shooting basketballs that you know you're never going to sink because the basketball <laughs> rim has been bent a little bit, and you don't know that. Because, I didn't uh, even know that. Oh, yeah, I didn't know a, that. Oh god, shenanigans, guys, shenanigans, <laughs> Erica. It's called shenanigans. <laughs> the carn- it's all the carnies. Yeah, that's the carny. <laughs> it it's basically arcades or carnivals. I think. I don't. Yeah, I don't think so much about it being my money as just what is my money going to. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, like I don't five dollars to go buy a movie or go to the movies or go get some popcorn. Cool. Five dollars to buy a rug for my dream home in a Collect Dragons yes. video oh game. 
what the fuck? That's not even a real thing. <laughs> so that's true. a that's a fake rug. Like I had an argument with my sister recently. I said, "You just let your daughter spend ten dollars on a magic carpet for her video game?" Yeah. I go, but don't you see that that's horrible? She's like, "Well, you know, it's her money." I'm like, "That's even worse. You're letting her just spend her money on oh, bullshit." And that's a video game that they'll. And you know what happened? Two days later, they did an update, and she lost her magic rug. That means she oh. spent ten dollars oh, for God. nothing. She could have taken it and just lit it on fire and threw it out the window, and it would have been the same exact. Except thing. that you can't light it on fire because it's in a video game. It's just oh, it's so bad. Yeah, and we've we've digressed quite. Far. Clearly, I have opened a can of worms. I don't even remember how I did it, but I did it. So sorry. It what were was we lovely. About? We are talking about Agnes Varda. <laughs> oh, right. And Jane okay. Birkin. Okay. I will but say. I guarantee you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt for no. a second. I guarantee you, someone at some point, when those couple of moments where she has cut her hair, I bet somebody said, oh, she's so brave for having short hair. Oh. She's so old. You know it. Yeah, it's exactly right. Like, you get to a point where it's like, oh. Or or even, even worse, it's, oh, she must be going through something. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, mm-hmm. such a drastic yeah. style change. Something must be going on with her life, not just... I want I want shorter hair. My hair is in my yeah. face. I'm tired of picking it out of the shower drain. I'm just going to go shorter because I just don't want to take an hour shower. I want to take a ten minute shower. Well, but and, and you the, need there's to all... grow it long in case you want to date again. Yeah, I mean, right. So, yeah, just think about that. Um, <laughs> but that but there's also the positive version of that, right? Which is which is like like wow, she cut her hair short. What a style icon. Which, like, mm-hmm. also is, exa- I'm sure, exhausting. It is exhausting. You yeah. know, where it's every like... every choice yeah. that you make. Yeah. That it could just be, that was the one thing that was clean, and I put it on, and right. somehow <laughs> I changed the damn world, and everybody lost their minds, but... Uh, it is really in- impressive, I do have to say, like, as I um, criticized myself um, before uh, making the comments, but, like, her, her clothes in this movie are amazing, and they would totally, they totally would work today or at any other time. Like she just had a very timeless style that is, uh, you know, entirely her own. Um, and that's very impressive. That's all I'm going to say about that. It definitely didn't feel 80s. There wasn't a moment, like there wasn't yeah. very many moments where I was like, ooh, this is so 80s. Um, and that's because it was in France, so it was more 70s, but. Um, in terms of style, but uh, I, yeah, no, I agree, and I think uh, you were uh, hearkening back to a long time ago. Um, you were talking about this idea of uh, all these movies being clips that take place within like a, a fake movies that are for her, like a reel of her life, her life. Um, you know, right before she made this, the other short she made, uh, you have lovely stairs. Uh, is almost kind of like you can almost see the seed of that idea happening in that because it's a clips it's a clips like short where she's talking about the uh the cinematech and the stairs that lead up and down from it and then mm-hmm. all these movies with different stairs within this within the movies and then like just kind of going through the history of cinema but like it, only referencing stairs which i found to be absolutely fun super super joy like just super like kind of a throwaway thing that was made 
much more interesting by Varga's perspective on it. Like made by like a Jean-Luc Godard, it would be like pretension <laughs> wall to wall. Made by Agnes Varga, she's just like, hey, look at this thing that I find fascinating. And then let's look at all the movies that have stairs because that's what that's great what a great quirky little thing to to pick apart travis and we're gonna I, talk about this short on the next episode oh no. my goodness i thought it was this episode because it comes before this movie oh uh, well, i was gonna do it on the next episode oh I'm i watched so this sorry. i watched this years ago though it, but i haven't uh, oh, i haven't sorry. seen it recently well <laughs> speaking of though one of my favorite moments of of that was her finding all of this artwork with people bending over trunks how does a person mm. notice that and i'm so yeah. glad that there are people who do because it's fascinating well, yeah the, it's yeah, just fun she's done that with a few shorts now like she, she did uh mm-hmm. she did one whole short just finding every single statue the corner space yeah. statue outside of doorways of houses like not gargoyles but like the people like holding up the building uh, with mm-hmm. carotids, I think they're called in French. Um, just just every single one of them in uh, in Paris. Like she just did a whole so entire good. documentary about those little things. And I she does it. that often. Like uh, in her early travel log movies, uh, she, she just keeps on finding like this one theme and then she plays that theme out as opposed to peppering it through. So she'll line up all the shots of little kids falling over. Or all the shots of people eating ice cream, like one after another, or everyone wearing stripes. And it's just shot after shot after shot that she's found over the course of the three days she was filming there. And it's a, it's a fun, it's such a fun little, like, almost like organized mind. Like, you peek into Varda's, like, brain of, like, I'm like, <laughs> I notice these things. And once they're, like, once you say red car, all I see is red cars. Now, mm-hmm. once you see girls bending over in trunks and classic art, that's all you're going to see from now on. Or, as someone pointed out to me in art school, uh, poorly drawn dogs. Mm-hmm. Like every <laughs> painting wonderful. has a really oh. horribly drawn dog in it. <laughs> it's so great. I think she is what people wish that they could be. Oh, it's so true. Like she, she, and you, I mean, that's just like one example. Uh, the bending over in the, in the boxes is just like this light, you know, the, the life of the artist essentially like of living, not, and not just making art, but living around surrounding yourself with art. Mm-hmm. And delving into it, and she places these trap doors in her movies. Um, I, I think both what, what you just said about that, and then also uh, the, that you referenced Godard, Travis, um, is something that I've been thinking about through the last few movies of hers that I want to talk about. And I'm not really like it's like a half formed theory but i i want to talk about it because obviously she's she's uh grouped in with the french new wave um and in particular like godard and truffaut being the the sort of uh most famous uh from that movement were very much like uh using the history of film the mythology of film um to make their movies and to play with and I feel like Varda uses the mechanics of film and in a way the, the tools as, uh, you know, her 
in order to express her art and to create her films. And she, as, as she's gotten um, older and as he, she's made more films, and I think as she's been sort of, in, um, you know, connected to the culture at large, uh, the, the cinematic culture at large, she started to reference other movies. And obviously there's like direct references in, in this film, like, uh, like the Laurel and Hardy sequence, which is incredible um, and features the baker from Daguerreotypes, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I think for the most part, she's a lot more concerned with like not just how the camera works technically, but like philosophically how the camera works and how framing and editing and sequencing works. Um, and she likes to play with those things in ways that, um, sort of remove her from the, uh, sort of postmodern tradition that, um, the French new wave and its acolytes uh, pushed into, you know, the, the future of mainstream commercial Hollywood filmmaking within, with new Hollywood with like Scorsese and um, the Coens and stuff. So like I'm, I'm circling around the, my theory here, but I feel like she is, you know, much more concerned with, with that as those aspects of creating the work as opposed to, the feeling or mythology of um film history does that make sense yeah i i i was thinking about that very specific idea especially towards the beginning um and at that point when jane is talking about how difficult some things can be and that she would tell her kids well i don't really know what i'm doing right now and i think about that as as she's going through those red steel beams and what that would look like if you step two paces back from the camera what 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 are we actually looking at and how they create something that is so much more transcendent and I think of art as being just this seamless artistic and inspired technician who didn't have to pensively smoke a cigarette constantly thinking about and talking about the process just such a more interesting person to me frankly yeah completely i think uh the idea that those other directors almost is um director as celebrity versus Mm -hmm. her who is doing you know director as not even artist but director as collaborator because she never as much as she is you know her indelible stamp is put into every movie she makes she's always not afraid to talk about the people that she works to make the movies with like she gives her actors as much credit as she gives herself for her work she gives her cinematographers or editors she's always talking about the process and how much joy she gets out of the making of things versus the you know she she always wishes that they were more financially successful but only so she could have more money to make things Mm -hmm. not so she could be famous and not you know 
she says something about the irony of making a movie about a vagrant woman and then going getting dressed up and going to cons to uh, celebrate it and how that just felt weird that that was you know that was something that you know she, you know that th- that's how that ends up but uh I do think I do I do see what you're getting at Matt because there is a you know your Godards and your true foes have made your Tarantinos and your you know right. I wish more people watched her movies and kind of fell in love with the the pro the process and the tools and as she gets older she just becomes more masterful with her tools you know mm-hmm. at first it's kind of like you know you know you look at the point court she's doing these really interesting things but it's also very uh like obvious and then as she moves further and further into her career you see the like things are getting like subtle or less less care about certain aspects so they just happen they feel more natural as opposed to forced and it's a it's a really beautiful process that she appreciates that as opposed to you know at, you know being agnes varda she, she you know she just enjoys making things which is great i think about that one shot where jane is doing the four-way um traffic uh on the champs Elysees. so you, oh, when you yeah. see the arts of triumph and how i don't think anybody else would do that i don't think anybody else would have as much fun doing that too mm-hmm. and and take that moment to capture that specific feeling of being this woman in this place and how that feels yeah, yeah i've been yeah, go, go ahead. ahead no go ahead Travis. i was gonna say yeah i can't imagine like if this was uh catherine brio oh no excuse me uh catherine deneuve um being the person that we're having this conversation about in terms of this movie i can't imagine the that there would be so much joy fun and willingness to experiment with their image because um, that always felt like more of a specific type of image that was manicured and and kept and presented in movie after movie this there was no hiding in roles there was this is the person in this role and they're always going to be the same kind of thing i can't see like having something so uh, just exploratory and uh, more in detail than uh than the subject that you know birkin being the subject of this I think too, like the more I watch these movies in in order and really pay attention to them, the less even the the um, the lesser of her films, um, like Liss Creatures or um, or Nausicaa, uh, feel messy in any way other than entirely on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think. Part of that is her, um, like, total lack of regard for um, looking cool. Like, those guys and the filmmakers that they inspired, you know, like, Varda's not somebody that's going to conceive of a scene based on a needle drop that she wants to use in that sequence. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And, 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 you know, we talked about on Vagabond, like Vagabond is a film that would have been entirely different if she had storyboarded it 
which Varda would never storyboard a movie. <laughs> like she has no, yeah. she stopped writing scripts, you know, uh, cause she didn't, she, well, part of that was that she wasn't getting money for the scripts. So she didn't want to waste her time. But another part of it is that for her and this probably, you know, it certainly ties into the collaboration that you're talking about, Travis, like she, she doesn't know what the movie is that she's going to make until she is on set. And really, yeah. probably in post as well. I mean, the, this movie actually did remind me of Nausicaa in a lot of ways. Certainly, like the silly skits, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the mer- the mixing of interviews and feature stuff. There's obviously like Greek myth in here as well. So, I mean, the you know, it's just it's this deliberate sense of coming back to the same themes and the same concepts, because those are the things that she's interested in on a personal level, but always being willing to experiment based on her collaborators, based on where she is on set that day. Um, and, and, and then, you know, having the skill to be able to construct out of what was essentially an improvised set of footage um a film that feels so effortless in its structure yeah it's that concept of she's in post and she's like oh you know be great right if we you know filmed you as the different jones uh you know janes in throughout history and then they laugh about that and they said oh let's do that and then we'll replace the uh you saying these lines and we'll just uh have it be over the images that we're doing and then they go mm-hmm. off and shoot that and then come back and then put it in and then think about this other thing that they can do. And cause it is, she's always finding her finding the story while, while making and sometimes while, you know, creating it in post is, which is part of her creative process, which I think is what infuriated so many studios, which is why she could never yeah. get the money to make her movies. Well, is because you know, well, yeah, yeah, that, that <laughs> she was also a woman. Yeah. That she's yeah. a woman, and she wasn't making marketable movies yeah. that uh, you know exploited or fell into the uh, the you know what you need from a French film, which is just sex and you know. Anyway, anywho, I'm not complaining about any of that. No. As well, I'll, I'll take all of that and her films too. <laughs> exactly, but she all was also things. like, I mean, like the the thing is, like she she did all of that, and she told you she was doing it in the mm-hmm. movie, and I think that was she didn't just do that because she liked like breaking the fourth wall or because she wanted to be in the her movies. I think she did it because she was genuinely interested in the process of filmmaking and the relationship between the person who was making the movie and the person who was watching it. And I don't get that sense in any, I don't get the sense in any Godard movie that he has anything but contempt for his audience. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Yeah, no. And I think, I think the other fascination Varda has with is making sure that if she's asking someone to, uh, someone to do something within her movie she's not afraid to show that she'll partake in it as well like you could you could see right. her you know if you're asking someone to do a nude scene you could see Barda saying well I'll take off my clothes too it makes you feel more <laughs> yeah. comfortable you know like kind of right. just like we're all in this together and this is a collaboration not a 
me directing from my silver airstream over the yeah. megaphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then things. hearing her comment on it as we are watching right. it too, mm-hmm. and and have that discussion. Exactly, bringing it up that this is what I had to do to make this thing, yeah. thing happen, and then later making her own documentary about the making of her own movie, <laughs> which then gives us even more uh, input. Oh my God, which I yes, I love. I love all of her documentaries about her movies. I think that's such a great point too. That 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 sense of constantly trying to make a connection in some way, or really open a conversation, whereas the other directors don't have yeah. that same spirit. It's just a completely different way of life. You know, just even something as unprecious as being at Montparnasse, and which I have seen Serge Gainsbourg's uh, grave, by the way. Um, of of being silly and reflective, but also thumbing one's nose at these larger intentions of what this may or may not mean to someone who is not the person experiencing the thing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, like the, uh, this movie came out of a connection that she had with somebody in the audience of one of her films. Like Jane Birkin wrote her a letter after being incredibly moved by Vagabond and that's how they met and decided to collaborate on these films together <laughs> so I, I, the, the joke is that she uh, called Jane yeah. as soon as she got the letter to tell her that her handwriting is indecipherable <laughs> <It was> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you what wrote it is, you said? <laughs> tell me yeah. tell me how good I am again <laughs> um, but but I, I I do find you know that aspect of her work to be um very unique it's it's hard to actually think of um many filmmakers and and i don't think it's a coincidence that also as we've been talking about throughout this and as you just alluded to travis like this is a film this is like an all-timer filmmaker who made who made dvd extras for her movies and literally, like, I mean, made, in some cases, you know, feature-length films as bonus remembrances of the making of the movie. Um, these are all of a piece, which is this sense of who she is as an artist and as a filmmaker that doesn't feel like it's coming out of the, where the vast majority of filmmakers come out of and and like that c- could be a gendered thing and i'm sure there are you know definitely specific uh elements of this that make her work uh more quote-unquote feminine or um i mean certainly uh her her work is explicitly feminist in a lot of senses but i think it just is, speaks more broadly to her like rich background in in art and art history um, and her fascination with the actual process of movie making, which is unique, um, you know, other than like somebody like James Cameron, who <laughs> just wants to like do crazy effects and uh, or, or, you know, Chris Nolan, who wants to like have sex with the celluloid. Um <laughs> she she actually likes the process of filmmaking and 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 not to like show how great she is at it 
but to engage people with that process. Yeah, yeah. not to receive her own accolades yeah. or have her own greatness reflected back to her, but her unique voice that she, I'm so glad, wanted to express and wanted to draw all, all of us in with her. Yeah. Um, is there anything else on the film that we haven't touched on that you guys want to talk about? I did want to say that Serge Gainsbourg shot, Gainsbourg shot with, I mean, that's got to be staged, right? That was just insane. <laughs> with him, it like, had to be, especially reading about what he was really like. Uh, yeah, I, I think that was the light version of anything that they <laughs> went through. But what? I did want to say, my, my last thought is, can you imagine Serge and his eye bags and smoke in your face constantly. I know. But still but still recognizing this dude is legit. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> but can we do it without all of that? <laughs> it's like God drew his eyes upside down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man. Yeah, no, I think uh I think we've uh, we've it's it's we could keep talking about this movie and go piece by piece and still like have things to talk about like that's that's the beauty of all these Varda films we've been watching. Um, you get more and more out of them the more and more you watch them. The whatever age you're at when you watch them, whatever period in your life you're at when you watch them it speaks on so many different levels and so many different readings and but they all come down to just that singular quality of Varda uh you know having that communion with film and wanting to have a conversation with everyone out in the audience which is which is a beautiful thing so Travis yeah where are you going to slot this one I, this is the movie is of like maybe so of hard. yeah, and I have to say like of any because we Erica we we had a conversation at the beginning of this season about whether we wanted to rank movies anymore okay. or not. Okay, and, got it. Uh, I think this is the movie where I was like, should we even do this anymore? Because <laughs> like no, it's so it's 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 unfair. It seems silly to, to like yeah. me and so to silly to this film. I mean, All of really, us. I think the okay. thing about this film for me that's that that's tough about uh, you know doing this is that it really feels alive. I mean, this movie mm-hmm. to me does not have a specific point in, of reference in my experience with it or in time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is it's a movie. It's not a fixed artifact. Yes, totally. No, um, not at all. And so it's difficult for me to say like oh, you know, this one isn't as good as this one, but it's better than this one. Can we talk about how she has another Doors song in this movie? Yeah, I actually was going to mention that too because um, it was interesting to me because, you know, talking about the sense of getting older and to use a Doors sequence in that, in that, um, or Doors song in that, in that moment where she's like showing up at the... um, at the uh, cafe to have the conversation yeah. with Varda was interesting to me. Think, thinking about this in the context of like the late eighties that it was um, released when it was released. Yeah, it was uh, I just, uh, I just found that fascinating. It's like two doors songs in a row. 
I'm like, oh, there you go, Varda. You like the doors, don't you? Mm-hmm. I think <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah you know who doesn't like or, the doors? Or, I don't like the doors. Maybe also Jane Birkin liked. I'm not the ready doors. for the. Do- I'm know. not ready for the doors yet. <laughs> oh, I I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Don't say I'm not a doors person. Just say I'm not ready for. I'm not, I'm not ready, ready for to the doors revisit yet. the doors. Good one, dads. Dads. Um, all right, Matt. Uh, I, I'm gonna just do it and yeah. not even like just get it over with. I'm gonna get it over with. So back, you know, hold my breath and just take my medicine. All right. So Nausicaa is still at my bottom, um, followed by La Pointe Court. Lace Creatures, Murmurs, Lions Love and Lies, Daguerreotypes, Documentor, and here's where things get hard. Oh, God, yeah. Because as important Cleo is, mm-hmm. I, I like this movie I'm, so I'm, much oh, more. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which, it's hard, and that's only because of, it. if you think about it, they're kind of, of they're like, they're the, uh, they're the coin, right? You mm-hmm. can have Cleo on one side, black and white, kind of, uh, kind of a more serious uh, exploration of a, a female actress, singer, model, uh, mm-hmm. height of fashion, dealing with a lot of emotional heft and weight as she's waiting to find out whether she's going to live or die because of this disease and then you have the other side of that coin light effervescent fun energetic woman dealing actress model like the whole thing it's 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 they're almost exact opposite mm-hmm. they're, like they're the same but they're different and it's like it's like Batman and Superman, like just the same thing. <laughs> they want to do the same thing, yeah. but they go about it in completely different ways. Well, and actually, uh, Jane Birkin recorded uh, the Michelle Legrand song from Cleo after making this movie. <laughs> See, so this is where the two of them, like, they almost share a spot, and they could easily switch back and forth for me at this point. So. I'm going to go Jane B, then Cleo, but it could easily be Cleo, then Jane B. Mm. Okay. It really doesn't matter because they, <laughs> they, because they're all like from this line forward, they're all like, yeah. you're all winners in my book. Every, <laughs> everyone gets a trophy from here on out. All right, Varda Films, gather around. Yeah. yeah. All right. Come on, everyone. All right. We're going to go get pizza after this. Um, so, you know, you got your Cleo, then you've got a. Except One's for you first eight films, you guys. <laughs> yes. Go, yeah. Go you guys, you guys get the uh, participation trophy. Um, no, but even those, like, they're just they're all wonderful. Like, you can even also put lines, live and lies next to Jane B, and like have really great comparisons about just the concept of exploring the natures of actors and models and muses and all kinds of that Greek mythology that they're kind of playing with in that as well, but less experimental. Um, so then you got one sings, then you got vagabond and then you got Les Bonheur. So that's where Jane B comes in. They like, you know, rocket right towards the top, but you know, still kind of hanging out with the, uh, the real big big hitters very nice thank you all right i've got nausicaa uh the creatures daguerreotypes la point court documentor and then uh jane b 
I have. Jane B is a film that I could see, I think for in terms of like the quality of it, could be up in my top three or four. Um, I had to, when I was thinking about this, I had to think about how much I actually enjoy watching it. And I love Lion's Love so much and enjoy watching it so much that it, that film edges it out just slightly. Um, they're both wonderful movies. And um, this second and third viewing of Jane B really um, increased my appreciation of it significantly. Um, but yeah, that line, Lion's Love kind of blew me away this, this, uh, this time around. Um, my top five is Murmurs, One Sings, Cleo, Vagabond, and uh, Le Bonheur. So nice. There you go. Um, I think I think it's funny that we both uh, for the Murmurs uh, documentor, which are the uh, you know the complimentary movies, we both have them ranked, but in the reverse positions on each mm. other's list. Mm-hmm. So that just says so much about us, Matt. It does. <laughs> I I have good taste and you don't. No. <laughs> but you, you both have good taste with Le Bonheur. Exactly. Well, that is that that's, movie is yeah, just that's going to be number one. That one was the forever. big. That one was the big eye opener this time around. Yeah. Holy cow! I had no idea. No idea. I watched that movie four times before we podcast about it because I kept on. Wait, what? Is she really wow. doing this? Oh my <laughs> goodness, she is! Holy shit! This is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, just watching it over and over. It was so good. Well, Erica, thank you so much for coming on and discussing Fortnite with us. Um, Always. (laughs) Always my pleasure. Always. Um, You're welcome to come back next week, which will be the... um, Or next next episode, which will be the... uh, the, I'll be out uh, of town. The flip side of, <laughs> of it would be the flip side Sorry. of the I'm first I'm growing my hair movie. out. I got some dates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I withdraw the question. For uh, <laughs> this will be the flip side of the first movie that we discussed with you uh, ever on our podcast, which was Lolita. Um, we are now going to uh, wade into very uncomfortable waters with Kung Fu Master. <laughs> I I. I would love you'll, to, but you'll I you'll reluctantly don't want bow to. out of that. <laughs> Erica, come and tell us your feelings about. I young seriously, lust. when when we first when we first uh, I think when we first decided to do Farda for this season, my first comment to Travis was, "You realize this means we have to do a whole episode on Kung Fu Master, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I want to point out, you you elected to do this. So you guys make the rules. I'll, ju- I'll, ju- I'll just I, remind you. I tried so hard to get Matt to fold Kung Fu Master into this episode so we could just do it as one. <laughs> and he just refused. You know, of course, we're going to Gleaners and I, we're going to now mash up. And I want Kung Fu Master mashed up. It's no. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm going to stay out of this conversation. Yeah, this is going to be an awkward one. All no, right. It'll be fine. We'll get through it somehow. <laughs> well, I think we're going to because I think once again we're complete for another week. Yeah.